but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve, I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. This is the closest we will come to doing an emergency episode, some three or so days after Ash Barty announced that she's retiring from tennis. Where were you? Is that for the listeners or for me? Because I can tell you where I was. We just went through on the weekend having to deal with a fridge that decided not to work. So a couple days later... Or landlord replaced it we got a new one and i had to like rush after work to try and like get stuff for the fridge so this is like 10 something minutes to 10 and i'm putting the groceries in the trunk and for whatever reason i decide to check my phone and there it is and it was like what in the world it felt like someone had shared an old tweet from back in 2014 2015 when she retired the first time i was initially shocked And I think most of the tennis world was. Now people are telling us we shouldn't have been shocked. Because apparently there were, according to John Wertheim and Ben Rothenberg, there were rumors swirling in January uh, among players that this could be on the horizon. I thought you were going the route of this inclination for people to be like, well, I'm not surprised. (laughs) You know, whenever something noteworthy or newsworthy happens... Like, well, I wasn't surprised. You should have known. Good good job. (laughs) Imagine living a life impervious to surprise. (laughs) Well, we were surprised about this. And saddened, uh, even a little confused. Because it's so difficult to sort of separate what you had hoped for someone or the things that you believe they could still achieve with what she has told you very plainly is what she wants and what she feels will make her happy. Not confused in the sense of this doesn't make sense because it Mm -hmm. makes perfect sense, especially if you listen to her. And for us as geriatric millennials, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, that the way she described everything, it it hits home. It makes perfect sense. But the process of grappling with the decision causes confusion in one's mind right because a lot of what ash has stood for and how she's planned her career and her life has been at odds with what we we learn about sports and what an a professional athlete is supposed to be she's retiring at this moment with three majors with the number one ranking having achieved a lot but having the potential to achieve so much more in the near future and so it's a bit jarring To see an athlete say, you know what, what I've done is good for me. Like, I'm very proud of what I accomplished and I'm okay to move on now. I feel like you just touched on or hinted at a bunch of different themes that we'll be talking about on the agenda. So I'm going to treat that as an introduction. Sure. Just a, a thesis statement. Over the years, if you've been listening to us, you know that this has been basically an Ash Barty Stan podcast. Mm -hmm. Not entirely, but we've been fans for a long time. We've been talking about her since her return to tennis in, uh, I think, our second year as a podcast. 
If you are not a fan of Ash, you're probably really tired of hearing about her. We interviewed her jointly in 2017 in Cincinnati, Mm -hmm. right after her and Casey had won their early round doubles match against McNally and Glatch. And in that match, Ash closed it out, served four unreturnable serves. They may have been aces. I don't recall at this point. What we asked her about it afterward, what it feels like to be able to do that, to be able to call upon a weapon like her serve to just close out a match like that. And in typical Ash fashion, what did she say? She deflected and she made it about the team, right? She talked about how it's exciting to be able to play with Case and to come up with tactics that work when they're communicating well. And she said it was exciting to play in front of a crowd, even though the crowd was mostly against them, just because uh, she said she loves that American fans love doubles. And well, it was no, an exciting because McNally atmosphere. was a hometown girl at yes, that point. Yes, but instead of being sort of distracted or perturbed by the, the crowd noise, she said it was exciting. But this is typical of when Ash is asked about herself as she reframes questions in the first person plural and says, we, the team, they achieve these things, not just I. Let's have a quick look at Ash's resume. As you mentioned, she retires as the world number one. She's still currently the world number one. She holds currently the Wimbledon title as well as the Australian Open title to go along with the French Open title that she won somewhat surprisingly in 2019. She won 15 titles overall. She won a Grand Slam in doubles with Coco Vandewey at the US Open. So if you want, you could say that she has the career Grand Slam. (laughs) The fourth leg just came (laughs) in doubles. She's won over 23 million US dollars in prize money. And I think of that in two ways. One, in that that sum along with her previous and current and future endorsement earnings will soften the blow of not having a tennis income on the court, to say the least. She doesn't appear to be too concerned about money. No. And also, just how much money she's leaving on the table. She's the eighth highest paid female athlete of 2021. And in tennis, Naomi, Serena Venus, and Garbine out-earned her. I imagine it can be a bit difficult for folks to conceive of money on that scale as being just right there. I mean, even if she's playing at like a a top 25, top 30 level for the next five, six years, that's a lot of money. We, We rarely see tennis stars in this day and age particularly retire this early. We talk all the time about how Venus and Serena and Roger, they've changed the game. And especially those two women, they've changed the landscape of the WTA Tour, whereby you no longer retire by 29. 29 is kind of an early retirement these days, let alone 25. But in recent history, some players have taken time away from the game or retired in their 20s, and they come back. Now, Ash has already stepped away from the game once as a teenager, Will she come back to the game because she's only 25 now? Who knows? Well, she did kind of address that head-on in an article that she wrote after she retired. She said, is it forever? 
the door to my career is closed at the moment and firmly dot 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 but i do hold the key to the padlock and who knows what the future holds so these days it's not surprising at all to see a tennis player return after a first or a second retirement like she said ash does what feels right for her she does what she wants so it's totally up to her sure this much we know by now i'm just saying i was selfishly happy to see that that she's not completely opposed to the idea in the future right looking back on her career she was a very promising junior player reaching number two in the junior world rankings in 2011 she won her only girls level title at wimbledon dropping only one set to who you guessed it madison keys did not guess it (laughs) to madison keys in the third round She started to play on the WTA level in 2012 and 2013. And in 2013, she and Casey Del Aqua reached three of four slam doubles finals. You know, they had four chances. By 2017, they had reached the finals of all four majors. They added a Roland Garros runner-up finish in 2017. And so as a youngster, as a 16 and 17-year-old, Ash becomes one of the premier doubles players out there. But she stays out of the top 100 in singles. I remember watching her and and hearing people talk about her and saying, Ash is coming, right? Like if she can put together these skills, she will be a top singles player too. And at that time, it seemed very possible, but it didn't seem like a foregone conclusion. She was still only 16 years old at the time. Right. Think of the 16-year-olds that we've witnessed in the last 10 years. The most notable that comes to mind is Coco Gauff. The, the ways we lauded Coco Gauff, those achievements were still not like world-beating achievements. You know, like, I feel like Ash was where she should have been at 16 years mm-hmm. old. And what Coco did was an anomaly. These days, it is an anomaly. You don't see the prodigies. You have safeguards in place to prevent younger players from playing too much. Yet, it seems that Ash ended up playing and traveling too much at that age because she had to step away from the game after the 2014 U.S. Open. At the time, she said it was just a break. She needed to take some time away from tennis. It wasn't a retirement. It was a pause. And she's talked a lot about it since returning, of course. She's been asked about it by everyone. And she said at the time, she really wasn't prepared for what it was like to be a professional tennis player, the type of mental and physical commitment it took week in and week out to travel and to be famous and to just live this life that she wanted to be a teenager. Something that's being talked about a lot in the wake of Ash's retirement, and we've heard some talk of it because of the pandemic and what it's like in Australia with the quarantine requirements, in addition to what traveling as an Australian is like to begin with. We're starting to, I am at least starting to get a better understanding of what it's like for an Australian tennis player to travel the world throughout an entire season and how different that is for other players who have a more centrally located base. And she's somebody who clearly is very close with her family, kind of needs that recharge to get herself feeling good again. She said as a 17 year old, she just wasn't ready. She didn't know what it was going to take. Do you remember last year? I wonder how much this played into her decision as well. Last year, she was on the road for, what, seven, eight months Mm -hmm. without being able to go home? (laughs) Like, 
that will take a toll. Yeah. If you're already somebody who is that family oriented to begin with. What I learned too is that a lot of Australians historically have set up base somewhere else during the year. Mm. So that they because they it's not practical to go home after the Australian summer. So some will, you know, set up shop in the US, for example. Right. And it's probably important to feel that you have a home base, even if you're away from home, that you have kind of somewhere safe and stable to go to to recharge. During that gap year of 2015, she dabbled a little in pro cricket. She played in both the Brisbane Premier T20 League and Big Bash. I don't know what Big Bash is, but I think you do. It's a, a 2020, like, what? Yep, so Exhibition it, League or like no, a real one? it's the Australian version of the IPL. Oh, okay. So the West Indies has a CPL, the Caribbean Premier League. There's the Indian Premier League. All the major cricket-playing countries, for the most part, have their own version. And the Big Bash is what's played in Australia at the end of the calendar year into the early year. What's different about the Big Bash League is that they have competitions for both the men and the women. Most of these global T20 leagues don't do that. It's just mm. the men. Now, in the Brisbane Premier League, she played for Western Suburbs. She scored a century for them. And she was their top scorer in their winning final match. So, you know, not a half bad year off for Ash playing another sport she loves. One of my favorite memories of Ash is how, like any natural cricketer you will take any moment to play air cricket essentially Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. real cricket play makeshift cricket just find some way to get some cricket on the go just just last year or earlier this year i think it was at the australian open she was practicing on court and she did a little leg glance off the hip while she was (laughs) (laughs) and you would often see her practicing batting behind the scenes in the tunnel at tennis tournaments Mm -hmm. after about 20 months off, Ash returns to tennis in May 2016. She reaches the semifinals of the 50k event in Eastbourne in both singles and doubles and qualifies for Nottingham and reaches the quarterfinals. In 2017, she gets her first career singles title, winning in Kuala Lumpur, and then reaching her first big final in Wuhan. And then things start to finally build quickly for her. Birmingham and Wuhan finals reaches the WTA Elite Trophy semi-finals she wins the elite trophy in 2018 bettering her performance from the year before and that is after she gets her first grand slam doubles title at that year's u.s open alongside coco vandewitt and you really start to see things compound for her and i we've talked about her career in the sense before it was a very steady building after returning from her first break and it felt very intentional and it felt like she was in a much better position to develop her game and the mental side right when she first came back it was like well is ash barty just mostly a grass court player her ability to play and be successful on all surfaces wasn't clear yet but then in 2019 she wins miami on hard courts you're like okay yeah mm -hmm. it's not a slow hard court and then a couple months later i think to the surprise of many she wins roland garros Yes. Now, this was a famously strange Roland Garros, if you remember. The semifinalists that year were Ash, Anisimova, Kanta, and Vondrosova. And Vondrosova was the surprise. You know, she took out Petra Martic in the quarterfinals, which many felt was a match Martic should have won. Anisimova beat Simona Halep, who that year was the defending champion. And Ash had been building over the 
past several years, uh, you know, a top player's resume. So it wasn't a shocker that she broke through to win a major. It was a little surprising that this was the first one. I wonder what Esh's career might look like if it were not for the pandemic. Because she sat out the entirety of 2020 once the pandemic halted tennis. She did not come back to tour in, what, late July, early August, like everybody else did with that Kentucky tournament and then the U.S. Open swing. Mm-hmm. And then when she reemerged in 2021, she came back to tour with a lot of people questioning her status as world number one because she hadn't played in so long. And also, she benefited from her ranking being frozen. Right. To be clear, those weeks at number one during the stoppage were not counted. But there were no events going on, and there was no threat to the number one ranking for a long time. Right, but then there was there was just a lot of uncertainty around her. That's oh, just what I'm saying. And in the meantime, Naomi Osaka wins two majors back-to-back. And you know how people, yourself included, prefer the boom-boom way of tennis, and that somehow that style of play is more legitimate. I'm, I, I know you appreciate Ash's game, mm-hmm. but I'm saying privileging that in the discourse necessarily does somebody like Barty dirty. Sure, but it's also just recency bias, right? People watch Naomi win the US and Australian and say, she's the best player in the world. Like, fight me, you know, prove me wrong. And she was at that time, but they also forget Naomi doesn't play that much. And in that stretch, she didn't play much. There weren't that many opportunities to play, to be fair. But when Ash finally did return to the tour certainly took those opportunities and made the most of them wherever she could. Mm. One of the regrets for me about Ash's career is that we didn't see her and Naomi play more. Yes. And in the last few years, the pandemic played a role in making this the case, but each of them had distinct periods of supreme play. Mm -hmm. And they did not align. No. Ash ended 2019... By winning the WTA Finals, gets the number one ranking for the first time. And really, since the pandemic started, aside from a period of four weeks, she has been number one Mm -hmm. since COVID. And so when folks talk about the disappointment in this news, I try and stay away from that. You know, I try to make peace with my own personal sadness and disappointment quickly and just move on. Right. But one of the things you're allowed to feel that. And, you know, and for all the listeners, if. But for me, as a podcaster, mm-hmm. I needed to speed up that process. But one of the things that I will keep with me, and I shan't let it go, is that we did not get this rivalry. Mm. Because when when we say, or folks say, oh, well, this is just a big blow for women's tennis. Such a huge loss for the sport. Yes. But what does that entail specifically? And it's not just that Ash would have likely gone on to win at a high rate in a large volume but what would those wins and matches and matchups look like folks are always out here caping for the next great rivalry in women's tennis and for me this would have could have should have been it Mm. and so that is one of the bigger losses for me with ash's retirement and you know thinking of her matching up with someone like Iga Swiatek. Mm-hmm. Right, Iga was her number two for a week, <laughs> or now maybe two weeks, but Iga will take over the number one ranking, and you know, well deserved. What would they look like, both at kind of the peaks of their powers? Right. So 
in this scenario, Ash is the constant. We right. had finally gotten, if this was something that you wanted or needed, <laughs> we had finally gotten a constant, consistent, can't help but win top player in women's tennis. And so any and all rivalries that should come subsequent to that would be with her as a standard. Right. And we were we not just talking on our previous episode about how there has been a period of stability at the top of the game? Yes. Even though the rest mm. of the game has been chaotic. And I had just said that folks seem to finally be coming around begrudgingly to accepting that Ash Barty is that girl. <laughs> right. You know, that right. no matter what you may have thought about her previously, even if you don't like her game, that her results are undeniable and that she's worthy and then some we even talked after the australian open and during about how what had previously been seen as her weakness the backhand was finally sort of appreciated for the versatile and very important shot that it was to her game mm-hmm. how it you know it was good for winners it was good for forcing people back for forcing them forward for setting up huge forehands, for just befuddling her opponents in general. That it wasn't just that Ash Barty had a backhand slice and that the backhand slice was good, but that she had multiple types of backhand slices that she would deploy in different settings and instances for different purposes. Right. And that it was actually a weapon. It wasn't a way to cover up a bad backhand, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't like a, oh, I can't hit a regular backhand, so this is all I've got. It was actually used strategically. And that is something very important when thinking about and talking about Ash Barty's game is that the majority of it was intentional. She did not have the biggest serve, but her serving spots were very deliberate. There was a lot of strategy involved and her ability to hit her spots by design and execute her game plan is what really served her well in the last few years hit her spot on serve, knowing where the return is going to come, and then being able to hit the third shot in the rally wherever she wants. You know, starting so far ahead of the game on serve. Over the past few months, at the Australian Open and the lead-up, she was hitting a ton of aces, more than usual. The serves seemed to be doing extra work, and in retrospect, people are like, wow, did she storm the hell through that draw because she knew... This was it? That she wanted to snatch that title and then dip? Maybe. We've seen it before. With whom? Well, I think... Now, don't get mad here. But I think there is like a slight parallel to what Serena Williams did in 2017. She knew she was pregnant. She knew she was going to have to leave the game soon. And she absolutely trampled through that 2017 Australian Open draw, finally beating her sister in the final. She clearly wanted to waste no time on court. And that's kind of the feeling you got watching Ash this year. It was a very drama-free major win. She just went out and did it. When Ash returned to the tour in 2021, we didn't know at the time, but she was starting the last 12 months of her career. And in those 12 months, she reached a total of eight finals on the WTA tour, winning seven of them. Her only loss coming in Madrid to Arena Sabalenko, 4-6 in the third. And if you recall, last year, those two played a lot. Mm -hmm. Arena still remembers, however, the previous tournament, losing to Ash in Stuttgart and not getting that Porsche. She's Mm -hmm. pissed about that Porsche. (laughs) She actually uh, 
shared congratulations on Ash's retirement, and that was the picture she chose, the one from Stuttgart. Which was very um, self-deprecating of her. Mm -hmm. What wasn't self-deprecating was Kiki Mladenovic choosing a Fed Cup photo where she had beaten Ash to then celebrate Ash's retirement. (laughs) (laughs) It was giving uh, Martina Hingis energy. (laughs) Of those eight tournaments that she made the final, those included the Yarra Valley Classic, winning Miami for a second time, winning on indoor clay in Stuttgart, where you just talked about, making the final in Madrid, so back-to-back clay finals there, winning her childhood dream at Wimbledon. This was probably the tournament that I know I felt that she'd probably win first if she were to win a Grand Slam. Mm -hmm. And she achieved that dream in 2021, wearing the dress that paid homage to Ivan Gulligan Kali. And becoming just the second Indigenous Australian person to win Wimbledon. Mm -hmm. The first being Yvonne. Her success did not stop. She told us in that article that she wrote that around this time is when she really started to question, like, what am I doing? Like, I really don't want to be doing this anymore. It was kind of giving Steffi Graf at the end of her career, where she kind of knew but hadn't really made the decision. And then there was a point where it's just like, no, I, I know for sure I'm done. It's, it's possible that Ash could have ended after Wimbledon had it not been for the Olympics. She says that she felt kind of compelled to play singles and represent her country, even though, according to her, she had no business playing singles, that she still enjoyed the success that she had in doubles and mixed doubles at the Olympics, but she should not have played singles. And coming off of that disappointment and personal turmoil, she then gets to the hardcourt summer and Cincinnati where she kind of has kind of a breakdown with her coach. And it's a real struggle. And it was only, as she says, a big time matchup against Victoria Azarenka that really jolted her back to life for that tournament. And she ends up winning it. She loses to Shelby Rogers at the US Open. Ends her season, doesn't play anymore. Comes back after taking some time off in January of this year wins Adelaide for her third title on home soil and takes that to the Australian Open for her final tournament where she becomes the first Australian woman in, what, 44 years or something like that to win on home soil. And not too long after, she pulled out of Indian Wells in Miami, sparking some murmurs of what exactly is going on because she said, my body hasn't really recovered from my run in Australia And some people are like, well, that run didn't really seem very physically taxing (laughs) because she stormed through that draw so easily and has now announced her retirement. She is going to retire with 120 total weeks at number one. I think maybe 121 after the next cycle is done. That's good enough for seventh all time. It's more than two years at number one. She's going to hold the number three spot for consecutive weeks at number one, 114, besting Chris Everett by one week. When this first happened, one of the big questions that a lot of folks had, including us, well, what's going to happen with the number one ranking now? We knew about that little caveat, right? That there's two options here for Ash. She could just let things stay Mm -hmm. and just watch her ranking slowly dissipate until sometime next February she's off the rankings because she doesn't have any points. Or the other option is for her to say, well, hold up, I'm done. 
there's no way I'm changing my mind. I'm not coming back. Just take me off the rankings. But that's something that she has to initiate. Yes. And she told us the day after the announcement that that is what she will in fact do. And given that the next official ranking update is the Monday after Miami because it's a two-week tournament, that's when that will take effect. Iga Shiontek will be your new number one. Ash was asked about the likelihood that Shiontek will be the next number one player, and she responded, If it is Iga, there's no better person. She's an incredible person, a great tennis player, and she goes on later to say, I think she thoroughly deserves it. I hope that she can take it and still be her, do it her own way, and really chase what she's after in her career and her dreams. And that's a very Ash Barty thing to say, right? That I hope you achieve this amazing thing in tennis, and at the same time, I hope that it makes you happy. Mm-hmm. That you can retain what it is about you that makes yourself you. Because it's now clear that being a top tennis player for 15 years, to chase after a Serena Williams-like career, was not Ash Barty's dream. Right. She had singular dreams in that she wanted to win Wimbledon, she did that. She wanted to win the Australian Open, she did that. Her dream was not to accumulate glory. (laughs) She wanted to get in, achieve what she set out to, and then dip. Because we always got the impression that this wasn't the process of being a tennis player is something that she did not enjoy. And in some instances, probably hated. (laughs) You know, and it pushes back against this narrative that us regular folk hold professional athletes to that because you're making all these, all this insane wealth from playing just a sport. You're just playing sports that you should be happy. That there's no room for negative feelings toward this career. Mm. But also, we don't know what it's like to be this good at something. No. And so I think a lot of us regular people assume that to be the best in the world at the thing you've chosen to do, well, that has to bring fulfillment, right? What could be better than that? And it just doesn't. Like, you know, we know this from observing professional athletes, but it's hard to kind of shake that assumption. Does it bring fulfillment when you've achieved something statistically that tells you you're the best in the world and then there's a whole chorus of people saying that you're undeserving and that you aren't? Right. You know, the the, the game outside the game of being a tennis player and the noise and negativity surrounding it, I cannot imagine that that is something that sits well with somebody like Anash Barty, even though I do legitimately feel like she doesn't really care what people think. <laughs> right. You know, but there's right. a lot of extraneous mess and nonsense that comes along with that that I I think would kind of deter her from taking that kind of satisfaction. Well, even if you're someone who doesn't care, there's still a lot of like filtering that you have to do, Mm -hmm. right? There's uh, there are things that you have to ignore if you're putting yourself out there. Like she for sure was aware of what people were saying while she was sitting out the COVID season. Oh, I'm sure. You know, Mm -hmm. so let's talk about the announcement itself. Earlier this week, she sat down with Bestie and former doubles partner Casey Delacqua, and that's how she revealed the news. She posted it on her Instagram, her socials, and it was a you know about a five six minute video of Case feeding her a few questions and Ash just explaining why she's chosen to step away from the game now. Why? Why did why? she decide to step away from the game now? Number one, she said, "quote I don't have that in me anymore." That 
emotional and physical drive to be the best, to challenge yourself every week of the year, to train and to travel and to be away, she realized that she was proud of what she had achieved and uh, she didn't have the, the desire anymore. She said that I've never had anything to prove to anyone. I've always done things that felt right for me. And I think so much of the outlook now is shaped by that 20-month break she took when she was a teenager because it changed the way that she viewed the sport. When she got that refresh away from the tour, she was able to kind of see, well, I'm doing this now because I want to. I made the decision to return. I'm not anybody's meal ticket. This is something that I want to do. And when I don't want to do it anymore, I won't. Remember when she lost that semifinal to Sonia Kennan at the Australian Open and then brought in, I think, her niece yes. to the press conference? And she was telling us that, like, the results aren't the end of the world. Like, I it's I really don't care. Like, it sucks, but, like, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> and, again, folks were struggling to grasp that. Oh, she's using the kid as a shield to not have to deal with the severity and the gravity of the situation. The press conference is no place for children. <laughs> uh, okay. And I mean... That's what people say when a female senator brings a child to Congress. Yes, the Senate floor is a place for children too. But also, like, is she just supposed to sit there and cry? And think about what she's done? You're not there to be flogged. We should have been paying attention the entire time and accepting her words at face value because she's been saying them for a long time, that it's not the end of the world. Like, the results on the tennis court are not what make her... Ash Barty. They are not what defines her. They are not what gives her life value or meaning. And to be able to to view your life from a distance at age 25 and and have that awareness of what's really important to you, I would like some of that. Where do you get that? A lot of it comes from having to deal with a lot of adversity at a young age. Mm -hmm. There's that, but let's not discount the fact that means uh, that plays true. a big yes. part in it too Comfort. because yeah we can sit here and lionize her and and say how great this perspective is and kudos to her she's brave and there is some of that but we cannot ignore the fact that having a bunch of money in the bank which she earned helps one make this decision <laughs> as well it's just that a fact true. of life that is very true and she even said to your point she said that this never felt like a decision that she had to make. It was a decision that she got to make, that she was allowed to make. She had the privilege and the means to make this decision for herself. It calls to mind this article that Tamani Carroll wrote, talking with players about what it's like as a young player to be an employer. Because I got the sense that this was probably one of the harder parts of her decision, knowing that employment would cease. For some of these people. Yes. And a team that she talks about as if they were her family. Because mm -hmm. imagine you have this relationship with this team. And these are people who've been with you since you came back to the sport in 2016. Blindly, in a lot of ways. There was no guarantee <laughs> that Ash Barty was going to mm. be the Ash Barty at 25. Having achieved all this success. And right. they put their faith in you. And a reasonable person in that camp in that setup would be relishing 
the potential future earnings for themselves as well. <laughs> right. You know, like they've invested and put time and effort into this to be able to reap the rewards of it. Traditionally, that's what they would expect. And that's that's not going to happen. They will have further opportunities with other players should they choose, you know, but this career, it's halted. <laughs> right. You know? uh, but her coach, Craig Tizer did a press conference jointly with her the other day and said he he knew it was coming. He, it's not a surprise. I'm sure he was planning, just in case this happened, what's next for Craig? What does Ash's retirement teach us? Is there anything that we can learn from this moment? First, it's not without precedent in tennis. These early retirements or retirements while still on top. Justine and uh, I... I personally feel is kind of the closest parallel here. She retired in 2008, ranked number one. She'd gone through a long spell of being top ranked on the WTA yes. tour. She was extremely dominant uh, in 2007. She came through Australia with a 32-match win streak, loses in the quarterfinals to Maria Sharapova with a, a bagel set. And it was her first bagel set since 2002, at least on the losing end of one. And her 2008 started to kind of go haywire, right? She loses to Serena Williams at Miami, 2-6, love 6, another bagel set. Loses to Schiavone for the first time, loses to Safina for the first time, and announces as the number one ranked player in May that she has decided to leave the game. And she removed her ranking immediately as well. Martina Hingis retired at a very young age for the first time. Granted, that had more to do with injuries, well, exclusively to do with injuries at the time. Uh, But if you're looking for a parallel to a a young top player stepping away from the game, there's one as well. Mm -hmm. Martina and Justine return to the game. Martina returned to the top 10. Justine makes the 2010 Australian Open final, losing to Serena, wins a few titles that year, and doesn't stick around too long, right? Injuries kind of force her out of the game as well. But there is precedent for retiring at a young age, retiring as a number one player, and possibly returning. Possibly not. Bjorn Borg is another one. And this is a bit of a different situation. Bjorn wins his sixth French Open title in 1981. This is a record until Rafael Nadal broke it. He loses the Wimbledon and U.S. Open finals to John McEnroe. He said he actually didn't care about losing the Wimbledon final, which was disturbing to him. Because normally he would care. At the U.S. Open, he loses the final and he left the court before the trophy presentation and did not come back. He only played one tournament in 1982 and then announced in January 83 that he was retiring as a 26-year-old. The initial response to Barty's retirement was a lot of shock. But once folks were able to sit with it for a spell and take in her words and look back at how she's navigated tennis throughout her career, there was this sense of, well, it's starting to make sense. Right. It may not make sense to you or I, but it makes sense in the context of what we know about her. And then when you consider what the last two years has been globally, and then when you consider what, like I said previously, life has been for us geriatric millennials, (laughs) and... For generations coming after us about how us going through school and trying to enter the the workforce 
how our conception of work has changed. It does not look anything like prior generations. We value things differently. We prioritize other things in our lives over work. Work does not define us as it might have for previous generations. And that's something that's ever changing and ever evolving in my mind for the better. And when that dovetails with this global pandemic and you think of Ash and her already natural predisposition to think of tennis as work and not something that defines her or is her sole source of fulfillment, all those things taken together, I think a lot of folks got it. And it wasn't mm-hmm. just getting it, it was like, wow, it was that like, is a dream. It was like in your soul getting right? it, right? That, that is the dream. At 25, to have been able to do work that will set you up financially for the rest of your life, to now then be able to do whatever you want for the next 50 plus years of your life. Mm-hmm. Like that is something that most of us cannot even comprehend as being a reality in our lifetimes. Yeah, uh, being a millennial has been like experiencing this series of false starts, like this series of disruptions, right? And they're getting closer and closer together, those mm-hmm. those disruptions. And Gen Z is going to experience the same thing on an even larger scale. And companies have, you know, for a while they were trying to figure out what do millennial workers want? And I think they've kind of given up on us and moved on to Gen Z because they never, they never figured us out. They're not going to figure out Gen Z either, but it's always like, what's... What do these young people want from work? And while Ash can be shielded from kind of the economic realities of being a working millennial, like a lot of us, or a working Gen Z person, she's not shielded from the cultural changes, like the social and cultural changes that have happened, right? So like you said, people are just conceiving of their lives differently because there have been so many broken promises, false starts, like go to school stay in school go to college you finish college well that's not enough go to grad school well and then it's like oh actually uh, you should have learned to trade stupid stupid and if you're stuck then with a grad degree don't go do phd because that is fool's gold right now (laughs) and do not waste your money on any espresso-based beverage because it is your damn fault that you can't afford a house in Toronto that's appreciated by 800% over the past 20 years. That's very specific, but I think a lot of this will resonate with people. The thing is, the pandemic changed a lot for a lot of people, and you see it in tennis. You know, even among the most privileged people, they're beginning to look at their lives differently and assess what is really important to them. People are more than ever drawing boundaries, setting boundaries in their lives knowing the things that bring them enjoyment and striving to have as many of those moments as possible and removing themselves from situations where possible that bring stress, anxiety, and displeasure. Because quite literally, it could all be over at any moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You know, something I really appreciate about the later millennials and Gen Z is their realistic approach to death. A lot of it might be a joke. But the comfort in speaking about in such fatalistic terms is uh, it appeals to my sense of humor in my worldview. Others may find it morbid, but I think one good thing about 
younger people being more in touch with therapy and understanding mental health and stuff is that they're willing to set boundaries and set up like what they're willing to accept. Mm-hmm. Now, this this can limit us, of course, and we avoid uncomfortable situations because they are uncomfortable, but inevitable. But I think it's important, you know, for people to say, well, this is work and this is what I'm going to devote to it. And then this is my regular life. And those things are separate. And specifically for Ash, we talk a lot on this show about how being a professional athlete is still work. Mm-hmm. About the actual physical space of a tennis court and being on tour is a workplace. And so, of course, it makes sense to us that Ash would treat this or could treat this as work. <laughs> Removing right. herself from a job that she no longer finds fulfilling and that she's able to do it. And I want to posit something here. I don't know how accurate it is or if it has any merit. You can be the judge of that, James, <laughs> and or the listeners. I was on a Twitter space with Courtney Wynn the other night, and I kind of like hashed it out a I little heard. bit there. I was asleep, so, you know, when you're not monitored, I'm afraid <laughs> of what comes out. I was building a piece of furniture, too, at the time. It was quite the eventful... And and we know what an, or- 3 what an ordeal that normally is. Oh, so but- to multitask... It came out perfectly. I had to. It did. Yeah. I had to uh, walk back a few steps and wheel, redo them. Wheel and come again. I had again. to wheel and come again a couple of times. Uh, but the more younger generations and the more younger athletes think of tennis as a workplace, set boundaries for themselves whereby if I'm not enjoying something, I'm not going to put myself through it just because. And in this instance, as a tennis player, the just because is potentially chasing records. Mm. And for me, I think what we've all witnessed Serena Williams go through in her pursuit of numbers, in the pursuit of breaking Steffi Graf's record to then be told, well, you have to break this fictitious Margaret Court record. The trauma, quite frankly, emotional and physical trauma of doing that, folks have paid attention. They've seen it. They've witnessed Mm -hmm. it. Mm. And so when somebody like Serena has set that bar so high, because make no mistake, in a couple years after Serena's retired, nobody's going to be talking about Margaret Court. That 24, nobody will be talking about it. It will be Serena's record. Unless somebody gets close again. No, but that's my point. Mm -hmm. That record now seems so far off in the distance. And with the parity on the WTA Tour... And with the ever-increasing physicality of tennis, think about just how many injuries there are every single year. Mm -hmm. Nobody's able to get through a season unscathed anymore. Like the game has changed physically from the time when players were able to just rack up titles at just a frantic pace. And it's not just about one person having once-in-a-lifetime talent to be able to do it, right? Mm -hmm. So I think... Say, for example, if I'm Ash Barty, I'm, I guarantee you this did not play a part in her decision, but if I'm Ash Barty, I think I'm 25, I've won three majors, this has felt like all I've ever wanted to achieve. Why would I even think of trying to win 24 majors? <laughs> or or 10, or 12. Right. Or, what What know. is the meaning of that in the overall landscape of tennis history anymore? Mm-hmm. When... I value so many more things other than just numbers. Right. And also, the people who have achieved those outrageous numbers have sacrificed a lot. Mm -hmm. 
right? Physically, Serena, who knows? Serena may have had other children or she may have done something different or Rafa may have retired young and his body might be in better shape. <laughs> you know, like these players, they sacrifice their youth and their body and, and a lot to, to do this stuff. So if, if you're not trying to be the GOAT, I get it. I think Serena's legacy in this respect will be twofold. One, showing folks that you can have a super long career, that you can overcome breaks, being away from the tour for a while, injuries. You can have a family, you can start a family and come back. But then also on the other side of that is, and I guess it's congruous, is it worth it? So I don't know. The point is, and Ash has articulated this many times, it's that it's what makes sense for her. She is in this privileged position where she can make this decision for herself and it feels right. And this is what she feels is going to make her happy at this very moment. And in that sense, it makes perfect sense. And it also kind of reframes what what we know about her personality and her quote-unquote niceness. And the fact that she's just kind of very steady and there's not a lot of drama with Ash. I think we can now understand it as authenticity and in order to be authentic you don't have to be brash you don't have to be mean (laughs) you know a lot of times those are the only sort of personality types that are framed as real as as people who are in your face Mm -hmm. and honest right but there's a real authenticity to the way she's kind of moved through the world as a public figure she does what she's supposed to do but she's not going to pretend like press is my favorite thing in the world no but she, she's going to do it because she feels like that's her professional duty. And if you watch an Ash Barty press conference and you feel like she's being a little bit guarded and a little bit reserved and withholding, that's by design. And mm-hmm. those are the boundaries that we've been talking about, right? <laughs> right. And so, like you said, it's it doesn't gel with this idea of what we have as being real as an athlete. But that, too, is a performance. Of course. Yeah, yeah. I think now I understand better that there is just not a whole lot of fakeness behind what ash is showing you she is a confident person and confident in the fact that she's not really someone who wants to be a superstar right she does not want to be in the spotlight this celebrity that she earned because she's a great tennis player she doesn't want to be a hollywood actor right that's just not her no and it's i mean it's okay if you want to be that like there's nothing wrong with that it's just not her we saw what happened when she did those Vogue photos. We thought it was just incredible. <laughs> but then here come here come the Twitter gays mm. to cut her down. Yeah, it's just like people and women, especially, are allowed to want a lot of different types of things, mm-hmm. right? Like, just because Ash wasn't that person or didn't want to be a certain type of person doesn't make Serena or Naomi or garbinia any less it just means that they want different things for themselves for me it boils down to a lot of misogyny and it's not just straight men it's not these women athletes being oppressed by and suffering at the hands of the male gaze it's how gay men play a role in that as well and it's something that's always Mm -hmm. bothered me and we see every year at the year in tournament previously in singapore last year in Guadalajara, where these players go through the entire year traversing the globe and they get to have this one glamour moment and they almost 
always seem to be so thrilled to do it, having the time of their lives. And the photos get released and it's like, girl, what are you wearing? Those shoes? Ugh, could never. Oh, yeah. Disgusting. They get absolutely dragged. Right. And like, I get that it's whatever. It's fun and it's cute to poke fun, but it's like unnecessarily mean. Right. And so this is where I'm going with this in that there is a huge difference between what we expect of male athletes and women athletes. Your top WTA player has to serve looks, has to win dominantly, Uh has to carry herself a certain way, cannot cow down to would-be challengers, has to demolish them. You cannot be in my vicinity. You are not worthy. You cannot have friendships because that shows weakness. But if you don't have friendships, then it's like, wow, she's a real bitch, isn't she? Mm -hmm. And then, but you also have to have the right friendships. Right. (laughs) Right. Whereas the men, folks are out here caping for dumb and dumber. Being stupid is something to be lauded. Like, oh my God, he's such a himbo. It's so cute. Oh, poor thing. Bless him. You know, (laughs) you have, I said this on the space the other night. You asked me like, what did you talk about? Because I, I hope he didn't say anything out of pocket. You have Yannick Sinner out here posing up with Sloane Stevens, looking like his mama dressed him. And people are like, oh my God. <laughs> if, okay, this if, is not if, a huge issue though. Okay, but if a top 10 women's player wore the equivalent of that in that photo, it would have been... Oh, well, the noise that... The noise would have, would have been loud. The, rather than, oh my God, what a cute little innocent boy. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. And so I would just like for us to use ash barty's career in whatever way we can and apply it to our personal way of thinking about tennis especially gay men to recognize the way we perpetuate the rampant misogyny in sport when it comes to women athletes no small task eh? <laughs> over the last few days we've had a lot of players opine on this decision the majority of them have been wta players ash seems to have been universally loved one thing that i really enjoyed came from danielle collins who said quote to retire at 25 i think it really speaks to the way our sport empowers women i think it's so cool being able to retire at 25 what other profession would you be able to do that in there's not too many i think it's incredible for our sport seriously because you have goats out here who played in the 70s and 80s who they didn't retire with that financial security You can play a few years on tour in today's WTA and be set for life. Question for you, James. What are some of your favorite Ash Body memories? Uh, sitting down with the body serve and giving us an interview. That's my favorite Ash Barty memory. <laughs> Do you remember we tried to get both Ash and Casey? Yes, together. And, and Case was like on the road to retirement mm-hmm. and she was like, absolutely no press that i don't have to do (laughs) (laughs) and ash could easily have said no it was a one-on-one it wasn't in a press conference Uh, it was actually we had to request to sit down with her and she gave us 15 minutes which is not is no small feat back then when we were doing player interviews we did this stupid thing where we would ask it was always a wta player because we never interviewed men (laughs) No, I don't know if we've... Have we had a man on this show? No. Yes, we have. Well, male guests, but not a, not an ATP Sasha Bayan we had. Um, That's true? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, no, it's mostly... I mean, we're, you know, WTA is like our bread and butter. 
But early on in the Body Serve run, we did this episode called WTA Divas. Tennis Divas? Mm -hmm. was called Tennis Divas. Yeah. And so we would ask players, if you were to consider yourself as an equivalent of a popular culture diva, who would you be? And we got some like... Now I'm like so embarrassed by this question. I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. And it's sort of old fashioned, right? Yeah. Because the, you know, the divas are like Diana Ross and... Mm -hmm. Share and Aretha. No, but uh, Frankie Abanda, she said Sierra. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what Ash said. Ash struggled with the question. She was probably she was like, like, what, what the in the everlasting <laughs> fuck did I get myself into? But I think she came up with something like Kirsten Dunst or something like that. Oscar nominee. <laughs> Finally. Yeah. But the thing I came away from having that moment with her was that she was as down to earth and matter of fact as you may expect like we we came away from that just thinking wow like we it would be nice to go have a beer with ash party yes yes just like an incredibly chill person with no pretense like calming energy for me like as far as the career itself the australian open title was the highlight for me it was the most emotional moment most of my favorite moments of ash don't come in a, on a tennis court it comes from doing the one-on-one it comes from watching her, well, I guess this was on a tennis court, that doubles match in 2017 where she closed out the match with four aces or four unreturnables like mm-hmm. it was nothing. And she's, what, five foot five? Yeah. I mean, to witness that in that environment was so cool. And then also the cricket stuff. A tennis player who loves cricket the way she does, like it was always going to be a good match. And I loved her ashisms. Just throwing every obscure Aussieism into every press conference and sending us scrambling. Mm. What do you think her legacy will be? Well, and in, how will she be remembered? Mm-hmm. In reality, she is Australia's greatest champion since Yvonne. Yes. On either side, mm-hmm. men's or women's. Her weeks at number one and her consecutive weeks at number one are a massive achievement in a period of unpredictability. In women's tennis. And so I think that's going to be a big part of her legacy. Three slams on three different services. A career slam of runner-ups in doubles. (laughs) It's, you know, at such a young age is a big deal. And uh, she seemed kind of inscrutable for a lot of people. Like a lot of people felt that they didn't know her. They didn't get her. And honestly, that's part of the legacy. Is, Mm -hmm. you know, she came out here and did her thing. And was Ashley Barty and you either got on board or you didn't. I think it'll be inevitable that part of her legacy will be a bunch of what ifs, but not in the traditional sense. Not about what if she had played longer and won this many tournaments, but what would have been what would have been her imprint on the game and the way it's played going forward. Mm-hmm. Now folks don't have to figure out Ash Barty. They don't have to practice against the slice. Right. They don't have to plan for the impeccably placed serves. There aren't many people who play tennis, man or woman, like Ash Barty. And so that is one of the voids that will be left, hopefully to be filled in the in the years to come by somebody else. Could the game have looked entirely different in terms of the way it's played on the woman's side if Ash Barty played a few more years? We'll never know. Or at least it would have forced some top players into discomfort and into maybe making adjustments 
And finally, her, you know, her proud identification as an indigenous woman, her engagement with indigenous communities, that she wants to continue into retirement, working with kids. That's a huge part of her identity and her legacy as a tennis player. Even if she doesn't return to tennis in the future, I think there is still so much more of the Ash Barty story to write in tennis. And I think she will be it work behind the scenes, be it in indigenous communities. She says that she wants to work with youth between the ages of 15 to 18 specifically because it's a very important developmental time. And she knows because Mm -hmm. that's when she struggled most. And who knows where that will take her and what she'll be able to achieve? We will see. But bottom line is, I can now sit here confidently and say I've made peace with my grief over her (laughs) tennis career and that I am... So, so happy and excited for what she's able to do in her life going forward. Ash said, there's no right way. There's no wrong way. It's just my way. And our title for this episode was, you'll know by now, was a a musical title. (laughs) And aren't you glad it wasn't, I did it my way? (laughs) Because that is one of your most hated songs. You hate it so much. I don't know why. You hate it so much. that song. Uh, But Bye Bye Barty. Mm Mm-hmm. Did you know, that, you know, the song Bye Bye Birdie that Anne Margaret sings in the movie, it was not part of the original musical. And so when we did, we did the show in my 10th grade year in high school, loved, oh my God. So I played in the orchestra and it was the most fun. Would you play the oboe? Excuse I know it's you. the clarinet. Anyway, it was the most fun pit orchestra that I ever played in. Bye Bye Birdie, the song, is not in the show. Hmm. Anyway, fun fact. We're here putting out a bow on Ash Barty's career, paying tribute, and you had to just just throw a mm-hmm. did you know in there. You know, I always got to explain our title. <laughs> all the best to Ash. All the best to you all. We will be back shortly, probably in a week, to recap the Miami Open. There's already a bunch of stuff that's happened that we could have talked about for a, a mid-Miami episode, but this took precedent. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. This is the Body Serve. Find everything related to us at linktree.com/slash the Body Serve. Till next time. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.